Panzercrush.com And I am Chris Eaton, and oh, it's the Batgirl episode. Who else is with us? Mark Jaramillo on my bat cycle, riding by. <laughs> <laughs> I still need someone to, to to do that for me. I want Mark, like a cartoon of Mark on the on on a like motorcycle like that. Just even with the bat thing on the front too. <laughs> with the with the purple motorcycle with the uh, oh, uh, yeah. lace. Trim. Oh god, are they, are they the did... lace trim. Yes. <laughs> With a little purple and gold cape in the back, too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that outfit. I'm surprised no one's ever tried to eat that for, like, a modern style in the comic books. You know, you know, have you guys ever... I mean, you guys do conventions all the time. Have you ever seen anybody use the old 60s Batgirl? Oh, yes. Com- yes, many a time. Really? Yes, yes. Yes. Huh. Yeah, I've seen I've seen plenty. I've, yes, seen, I've seen a lot of them. And usually she's trolling with... Uh, with uh, old school Batman and Robin as well, so and that Robin's oh, usually got the got the the, the, the green tidies on, so there's a lot <laughs> showing. So awesome. uh, makes me whimsical for my younger age. I love, I, 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 Yvonne Craig was uh, was it Yvonne Craig? That was her, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. Yes. Yeah, yes, she was my first childhood crush. Something Ooh. about it. yeah, that girl. Oh yeah. Everyone was like, Mine was RoboCop and Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> Post shooting or pre shooting? Like, po- like what they appeared in the film. Okay, so oh, you st- oh no, post post shooting post for shooting. RoboCop is after he became RoboCop, not as Peter Weller. Okay, you have a thing for physically scarred uh, human beings, then. Yeah, well, I like them in their suits. Like, I like Optimus Prime. Although my mother's like, he's not a real man. <laughs> Technically, they're not. They're none of them are real men, but uh, at least RoboCop and Vader were people in those outfits too. Yes, yes, but quick, quick that's aside, true. Quick aside, folks. Well, we are a kaiju podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we tend to just ramble and uh, meander a bit. Oh, we do. <laughs> it adds a little flavor to it. Well, yeah. With we are this... we are we are well-rounded nerds. Yes, we are. Oh, believe me, this is the 30th anniversary of RoboCop and. Chris is celebrating accordingly, so... 30 years already? It, oh, oh, it, it, it's 30 years in, like, two weeks, and, like, another two weeks after that, it's the 30th anniversary of Predator. And also, also uh, celebrating accordingly. And then, uh, in November, it's the 20th anniversary of uh, another Paul Verhoeven classic, Starship Troopers. So, I have been... <laughs> I, have been I have been tweet-blasting the crap out of the new Beverly. I'm like... Give me this double feature. I will pay for every scene in the house if you could just do this for me, please. So, Definitely. Yes. We uh, also I, realize that next year, next year will be the 20th anniversary of the TriStar Godzilla. Oh, we're going to do something special for that. There's no yeah. way in hell we're not. We're not... I want to get, like, a full cabal together to talk about that. Like, we've got to get... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean li- like, it, like it or not, it is part of the whole 
mythology. Oh yes, and, and, and Final Wars did add a nice, interesting wrinkle to the whole thing too. So yeah, the, yeah, they, they did uh, bring closure to it. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. but no, we, we did get a good cartoon out of it. We oh, we got an excellent cartoon out of it. I, that's still one of the. Yeah. I still need to sit down and do that one day. I think you know a few people that written on that show too, don't you, Jessica? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have to get a round table for that too, because that that show I think deserves a lot more. Well, I, I have I have gone on before, especially for my love of animation. Sony Animation back in the '90s actually won quietly one of the best uh, animation houses out there. They put out, especially for your you know Saturday morning, weekday morning variety, top notch stuff. They uh, did the Men in Black. Uh, they did cartoon, the Men in right? Black cartoon. Uh, which was yeah. amazing. They did the uh, Jumanji cartoon, a little stylistic, but still pretty good. They put out the Jackie Chan Adventures, which I was a huge. Oh yeah, that of. was good. I like that one. Uh, that they did one. Godzilla, which was great. They also did uh, Roughnecks, the Starship Trooper Chronicles. Oh yeah, the the the, the, the CGI one. Yes, yeah. which was a lot more. I mean, they took what they needed from the movies oh. design wise, but that that one was a lot more closely associated with the book than anything else. So. It was a happy medium. They also did... There's one other one that they did. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Oh, it's going to bug me now. But, yeah, they, they cranked out some excellent work. It was th- them and WB. They were they were the two that were, like, high, really cranking out some high-quality stuff. So, but uh, what we're going to talk about today, though, is some high-quality film. And uh, a very unique entry into the kaiju genre, if you will. In fact, I would say that this film straddles two different genres of films, creating a, uh, a kind of a goulage of a film. Uh, we're going to talk about today uh, Colossal, starring Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis, directed by Nacho, I'm going to probably butcher his name, but here he goes. Vigalondo. Vigalondo. Thank you so much. Yes. So... Uh, it came out uh, last month, but it's been in a slow rollout, so uh, it hasn't really had a wide release at all. Uh, so we figured we'd wait a little bit, wait till everyone, at least most of the country, got a chance at some point or another to see it. Uh, I know it's um, we're about, eh, about a month and a half out now from its release. Uh, that way, I'm, I'm more than hopeful that a lot of people have seen it. And just forewarning... If you have not seen it, you might, and you want to be, you want to go in clean, don't listen to this episode, because we are going spoiler territory big time on it, because there's a lot to digest with this film. Um, and uh, there's a twist that, that thankfully, the uh, previews did not give away, although, you know what, I'll wait, and I'll save that, because that would, uh, me explaining that would yeah. give away the twist, so... Yeah. So but, but, yeah, I, I think we should preface our review and you know to kind of recap mm-hmm. how us and most of the world first heard about this film, okay. the whole debacle with Toho. Yes. Well, that you know what, in going into that, if you realize what that was, that would actually spoil a little bit of the film. So I'm going to say from here on out, so at this point on, spoilers. So this is your last chance. Spoiler, 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 and we're moving on. Okay. I just looked at the news and I think I'm in shock. A giant monster just materialized over Seoul. That happened like nine hours ago. You were just hearing about this. What have you been doing all day? 
You ever notice how it just keeps destroying everything in its path, but it never looks down? It's like it's being operated by remote control. Gloria, you got to see this. It's dancing. It's dancing like... Holy sh... So, about this time, in fact, it was about this time last year, because it popped up in my Facebook memories, um, that Toho, yes, uh, famously sued Colossal over their ad campaign at, I believe it was Con last year. CinemaCon. Was it CinemaCon? I think so, yeah. So it wasn't the Con Film Festival. Um, I don't know. I'm going to have to double check. But it was, some, yeah, it was a, it was a convention. It okay. was a convention. Because I know at Con they do sell films as well. So, and uh, okay, well, well, at this point, it, it was one or the other. More than likely, Jessica's probably right on it. But yes, so famously there was the promotional material for it. That Mark, what did it have on it? <laughs> <laughs> the promotional material. Well, the visuals. The, the mock-up poster they made featured Anne Hathaway's character from the back, staring down on the right-hand side, the legendary version of Godzilla. Yes. And on the left side, a giant robot, which was Mazinger Z. Mm-hmm. Both of them quite copyrighted as well. Yeah. Now, granted, that that's a movie I would love to see. We, we are but, getting... Uh, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, um... We, we can all wish. <laughs> we are supposed to be getting a Mazinger animated film this year, sometime later. Yeah, later. yeah, I saw the, I saw, the, you know, there's no visuals out yet, but just nothing but a, a, a logo for the, a title logo. Yeah, but we digress. So. Yeah, uh, yeah actually, it was, yeah, yeah, you're right, it was Con, Con okay. Film Festival. It was Con, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, but but not only did, did the, the poster feature both of them, um, and and you could kind of like chalk it up to oh well maybe you know somebody who didn't know pulled up you know just images of a giant robot and it just happened to be Godzilla and it just happened to be Mazinger Z mm-hmm. but in in the synopsis that they were shopping around it mentioned Godzilla by name <laughs> so so one is kind of led to believe wow so you know I guess they're going you know right here with, with the Godzilla license but. Mm-hmm. You know, it uh, said giant robot. You know, didn't mention Mazinger Z by name, but it did mention Godzilla's name numerous times. So I and I when we talked about this last year, um, I chalked it up, and I still believe that this is the case to some petty intern that was that was uh, thrown this assignment. It's like, hey, you're good with Photoshop. This is the movie we're trying to sell. Here's the elements. Make up a, a sign because we gotta sell this this guy. We gotta sell it. So, her giant monster movie. Obviously, Godzilla's first thing that comes to mind. You find an image of a uh, a giant robot because both images were directly taken for something. The the it was the legendary one was was like the shot towards the end of the film, and the Mazinger was from one of the Mazinger games. So oh, it was yeah, and they just slammed them together in Photoshop and like. Here you go. There were two separate posters, I believe, too. 
Both of them featured Mazinger and Godzilla on them. And, uh, yes, that's when Toho stepped in and came with... <coughs> uh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, uh, we're, we're the rights holders here. What, what, what are you doing? So, I don't... I do not believe that Nacho at any point thought, hey, I'm going to make my own Godzilla movie, because he's not... I've heard no. the man speak. He's not an idiot. So I'm pretty sure he's well aware of, of you know, legal, uh, of, of intellectual properties. So uh, Yes. So As you would think, anybody, anybody, I mean, I mean, uh, doesn't Voltage Pictures have a legal team who reviews this stuff? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> they are a very small company, so I'm pretty sure that whoever they have, they... And Jessica, you've dealt with this world before. That you know your occasional intern and especially these small the smaller companies are kind of just every once in a while they're flying from the seat of their pants a little bit, aren't they? They are. They are. Especially some PR companies and some design companies. You tell them something like, "Oh, we need a press release, or we need a poster out, or we need something out," mm-hmm. but in but they just take an image off of Google Images without really going over with you mm-hmm. whether it is free use or not. Yeah. Or even credited. And then that's kind of how where problems will come in hand. Um, you should always, always, and this is just preface that when you have an image that isn't originally yours, in this case, Godzilla, mm-hmm. you should write down, like, you know, credit to, you know, Ben Cho or whoever for this photo. And it says, if you are the owner of this photo and you would like it taken down, please see email list below. Because if you're flying off the seat of your pants, you may not have time to ask that person for permission. Mm-hmm. Especially, but you know, sometimes on their site, it'll say, do not use my photo, otherwise cite it by me. And I'm pretty sure that Godzilla is one of those, <laughs> you don't use it for commercial reasons. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I, I remember I was shocked and then I started laughing for some time <laughs> after that. Yeah, I, I still, I still, I'm still beholden that yeah, some idiot intern was responsible for this. And well, uh, Chris, because uh, uh, you and I saw it together. Yes. When it came, when it, uh, uh, the first week it, it opened here, and we actually saw it opening weekend. Yeah, it was, yeah, uh, opening weekend. Yeah, you, me, and my lovely girlfriend saw it over in Beverly Hills at the Landmark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we did talk about this when we had dinner afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know. The the, uh, the conspiracy theorist <laughs> side of me mm. wonders, you know, I wonder if this was calculated. To garner some I wonder press? To garner some press, because, you know, you know, it's like, you know, okay, we'll tell you, know, we're going to pay you X amount of money, and, and we're going to use Godzilla's image, and, and then you C&D us, because then, by doing that, we'll get press attention that that we couldn't buy it's it's it's, it's a very plausible it's a very plausible very plausible it's thing. Ho- it's hollywood yes they do shit like this all the time i would add i would add the wrinkle that perhaps they didn't ask for permission because sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission yeah yeah, yeah. True. And, uh, yeah, yeah. you know especially since it was a sales pitch poster uh for yeah. uh for uh, because it, it, for those who don't know con also, while being a film festival is also a film market as well. And a film market is where uh, you, if you're a production house and you don't have any distribution, you go and you sell your product for distribution, i.e. being a film. So 
you produce, you shell out the money, you produce this <laughs> tiny little film, or a film of some sort, or you don't even have the film ready to go. You just have promotional images, and you're looking for yeah. funding through with, with a distribution partner. So that seems like one of the th- one of the things. Um, because in interviews I've heard with Nacho, they didn't start filming this until right after. I believe it was. Let's see, world premiere. premiered in Toronto. So they shot in so September. This was May. So they, I think they were right at the beginning of production when this thing came out. So, because he said they shot it within like two months, and then the effects were done on the fly, essentially. So, yeah, I, it. It sounded like, hey, it might have, it, it, I'll, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give credence to your theory, but I'll go, I'm going with another wrinkle that, you know, bad, any press is good press, and uh, yeah. ranking up a shitstorm and getting the ire of Toho just gave their, their film, it was like, we were filming it anyway, we're not doing, we're not using guys obviously. Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 I like your explanation where, you know, Toho, Toho was not complicit in it, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, that uh, Voltage would just would just think, okay, any kind of settlement would would be uh, basically a uh, a, 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 a fee for uh, um, for publicity. Yeah, publicity and promotion. And they can you yeah. write it off at the end of the year. Exactly, exactly. And uh, but it 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 got the word out. I mean, good, good. people like us, mm-hmm. big fans of the genre, mm-hmm. we didn't know about this film until that lawsuit was reported upon. No, and yeah, yeah, and and honestly, you know, once I heard the lawsuit was settled and everything, I thought, well, okay, but that, I thought, well, that's the end. We'll ever hear of that picture, and then lo and behold, when I hear it was it was actually uh, premiering in Toronto, I was shocked that they actually actually uh, uh, went ahead and made the film. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought I thought the whole project, you know, would have been killed, but how wrong I was, and I'm glad because. Uh, uh, the film was it exceeded my expectations so let's so let's let's move into that let's move into the yes. film itself um, for those who have never uh, seen any of Nacho's other films he's uh, he's big on kind of taking uh, two different genres and kind of mashing them up he tells little personal stories set to bigger ideas if you will so uh, time crimes his first film is very much that way uh, he did a movie after that called Extraterrestrial, which was about uh, two people in an apartment while aliens are invading. And you really never see them except for the giant saucer outside the window half the time. Uh, you know, they're, they're, these are the films he likes to make. So Colossal, his first kind of step into, like, bigger budget filmmaking, this is the first, I believe this is his first true American film as well. And, uh... Yeah, he, uh, he he took... It, I mean, when he, he announced he was doing this film, he's like, I've come up with the cheapest way to do a uh, giant monster film, and I, it, this is what I'm going to do. And in many ways, he did. But in, in, in other ways, like, this is not a cheap-looking film, especially when you watch it. Um, no, no, not by any means. No. And it, Very well made. And, you know, for those, for a lot of people who are going, especially... Now... I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Look, I'm... Uh, we're all kind of film fans here. I'm a fucking... Uh, uh, sorry. A little bit of a film snob myself. Uh, a little less now that I've gotten older. Like, I've learned to not be so pretentious about things. But I do... These are the kind of film I do love these kind of films. Where they're just kind of weird and quirky. 
But they're not weird and quirky yes. for the sake of being weird and quirky. Like no, no, it's yeah. There's Films like uh, the brand new Testament. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love stuff like that. And uh, this film is very much. I mean, for I mean, for our particular group of fandom, I know a lot of people who who had went and saw. They're like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I'm like, no, it's not. And you know what? It's actually better for that. It's not yes. a run of the mill giant monster film. It's a, it's more of a. Um, now I would see so much of a drama or or a comedy, but it's a it's a film dealing with issues more than anything else, and one of those is I, I, yeah I would call it a quirky lighthearted drama with a lot of uh, comedic moments, mm-hmm. but it definitely was not the uh, uh, goofy comedy that the uh, that the uh, trailers made it out to be. Oh no, it is not. No, 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 it's not. No, it did it not. It took a scary car. turn. Little little Jess was not excited. <laughs> it's, it's it's a dark. It's a film. It's not. It, well, it gets dark, but it's a film about codependency and broken people, pretty much. And uh, that's that's what that's the core. That's the core of the film. And I've I've seen it twice now, and each time, like the both times, it, it just I'm like, God damn, this is a ingenious way of telling a story about you know just really shitty people, pretty much, and how you know. Some people learning to overcome your own uh, shortcomings, if you will. So, kind of breaking down the film, uh, the movie's about a, uh, a woman in New York City. She is a hardcore boozer. She's obviously got a lot of problems with taking uh, responsibility for herself. At the beginning of the film, she saunters in after after a bender. Mind you, this is the our our lovely star Anne Hathaway, who's playing this character, uh, into her boyfriend's apartment, played by Dan Stevens. If you don't know Dan Stevens, he is most famously from Downton Abbey. Uh, he was Beast in Beauty and the Beast, the Disney one, uh, and he just recently starred in the FX series Legion, which I haven't had a chance to watch. Did you watch that, Jessica? I have. I have. It is, uh, it is, it is slow and good. It's definitely not a show you want to watch right before you go to bed. <laughs> you will have nightmares. Just is it related to the movie? Audrey, Audrey Plaza did a great job. I'm sorry, is it what? Is it related to the movie Legion or nothing to do with it? No, it is not. No, it's, yeah, it's based off of Charles Xavier's son. Huh. Yeah, uh, in the comics, uh, Xavier's kid... Was it with Moira? Was it? Uh, no, it's not. Marvel no, related? no, it's yeah, with it's somebody Marvel. else. Yeah, it's Marvel related. It's an X Men. It's an it's the it's an X Men based show. It doesn't, uh, from what I know, it doesn't tie too heavily to the movies, but they do make mention of the greater mutants in in general. Like if, in like the, in the universe it exists, and there's mutants. I, the X Men possibly exist. And I know that one, wow. one of the bad guys, or at least the main bad guy in the film, is the Shadow King, too, which was which kind of blew my mind when they announced that. I'm so out of touch. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, it's only eight episodes, and it's uh, put together by the gentleman who created the Fargo TV series. So that gives you an idea of what to look forward to. Okay. So, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. So I'm, once, you know, hopefully in the next few weeks I'll get around to seeing it. So back to the film, so pretty much Dan Stevenson's character has had enough of kind of floating his girlfriend's 
bad habits, and it's it's kind of one of those points where it's like, I can't help you unless you want to be helped yourself. And it kind of cuts the cord, and that's where our film begins, where with nowhere left to go, uh, our heroine heads back to her family's home in, I think it's eastern Pennsylvania, where she has literally nothing. She's at rock bottom. She's living in an empty house and pretty much sleeping on her jacket as a pillow. So, <laughs> so on her way uh, from retrieving a blow-up mattress, uh, she runs into an old friend from, uh, from uh, back, in, back in the day, before she left town, played by uh, Jason Sudeikis. Now, I love Jason Sudeikis, and at first this seems like your average Jason Sudeikis role, where he's just, you know, the, the, you know, the lovable everyman. And where this goes, holy crap. <laughs> this, uh, I, I would actually love to see him get nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this film so far. In, in the year of, of the stuff I've watched so far, he did a bang-up job. It was, it was a great performance, it, it, yeah. And I, I hope this does... I, I love... I love when movies take an unexpected turn so, in this manner. Yes. So we'll get to that in a second. So Jason Sudeikis runs the, the town's local bar, uh, inherited from his uh, uh, recently deceased father, and uh, picks up Anne Hathaway's character, and, you know, the two reconnect. And uh, we learn that they had a bit of a history, and that, uh, sadly, Anne Hathaway doesn't remember a lot of key aspects which uh, we can chalk up to her slight narcissism and uh, probably alcoholic abuse. So, after a hard night of partying out with uh, uh, Jason Stegas' two friends, one of them played by uh, Tim Blake Nelson, and uh, an awkward encounter with, a, with, the, uh, with another friend as he tries to make a move on her, uh, she heads off into the, uh, you know, into the morning, uh, with her uh, blow-up mattress in tow, and uh, walks across a, uh, a just a unassuming playground as kids are going, as children are going to school. Goes home, sets up her mattress, which she falls asleep before the thing before she can get on it. Wakes up to see that uh, what happened in Seoul, uh, Mark. In Seoul, South Korea, uh, the news reports show. A giant monster appears out of nowhere and is wading through, I think, uh, the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, everyone's stunned. Everyone's glued to the TV. My God, look at this thing. This is real. Can you believe this is happening? Mm-hmm. To which uh, Anne Hathaway wakes up about six, seven hours later to the news. And uh, as she tries to call her now ex-boyfriend... Uh, who questions her, like, where the hell have you been? This has been on the news all day. Are you just waking up? And she tries to play off that, no, she has not been out partying once again, as he as he kind of alludes to. So, uh, once again, frustrated with her stance in life, what does she do? Goes back to the bar the next night and drowns her sorrows. <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, we get a little more uh, interaction between uh, as she kind of Settles in with the group, uh, you know, going on about how uh, the you know Jason Segus' bar used to be a Western theme bar. He's kind of roped off half the section and turned it into like a little more respectable dive bar, if you will. You know, everyone in the town can come in and have a good time. Uh, and uh, she tries to convince uh, Jason Segus, like, hey, 
She'll open this back up. It's kind of cool. It's kind of kitschy. So, and we see that Sudeikis has got like a, you know, there, there's there's some romantic tension with him and her, but not. It's more one-sided than anything else. Um, and uh, the next morning, after another night of a bender, uh, once again crossing an unassuming uh, playground as she's trying to call her ex once again and try to smooth things out, of which he has he's not wanting anything to do with her right now. So she throws her phone down in a huff and then takes off. When she gets up later that day, looks at the you know watches TV. Sure enough, the monster came back. And she starts to notice something. And uh, it's acting very familiar. And uh, she finds out that it's kind of mimicking her moves. And she watches a video from the previous day. And it's walking through town like it's holding like a sack over its shoulder. Much like she was. And uh, so we get this nice little montage of her trying to kind of piece things together. When she finally kind of puts two and two together, she goes the next morning around roughly the same time that she walked through the playground and gives it a little test. It's the scene you see in the trailer where she puts her arm up, she puts her arms out, and uh, then she runs home to look at the footage. And sure enough, Jessica, what happens? The monster does the exact same thing. And she loses her mind. So, yes. she only loses her mind for like 20 minutes or an hour before Jason Sudeikis shows up offering her gifts. Like, hey, here's a nice TV. Here's, you know, here's here's a couple of little things. So, you know, just trying to, you know, kind of... Yeah. Expand, what a great guy. What, what, what a yeah. great, considerate guy. Exactly. Extending the olive branch, if you will. So, uh, around this time, like, she does not remember that Jason Sudeikis offered her a job at his bar. So, you know, while she's down, you know, to, to you know, pick up a little, uh, you know, a little extra cash, and after you know a night of kind of learning things uh, and drinking, she totally blitzed out of her mind. Wants to show her new friends something very cool, so takes everybody over to the sandbox at a roughly about I think it's like 8:05 in the morning. Tells them to pull up, uh, you know, a, a bunch of live feeds that uh, are on Soul. After the two nights in a row, this monster showed up, and uh, just watch. And uh, sure enough, the monster shows up, and uh, they're watching the screens. And she starts doing this little dance that uh, Jason Sudeikis' character was doing. It was like his signature dance, where it's like does the little finger thing pointing at the crotch. And that's when they start realizing, uh, what the hell? And uh, at this point, and Hathaway doesn't realize. Where the monsters at? There's a swath of army helicopters, and they start laying into her, and she starts feeling these stings on her head, and she's asking what the hell's going on, and they're telling her it's like they're attacking you. So we find out that she is connected to the monster and can feel what the monster feels. So at this point, she starts stumbling around the sandbox, which we learn is proxy for soul. And as she's stumbling, she ends up falling down, and we get this, you know, I want to say just an audio overview of people screaming in terror as a giant monster would have fallen down, but it's just her. She wakes back up a couple hours later. Almost, it's almost akin to like when you when you drove drunk 
and you hit somebody, and you come to and you realize the error that you made. Like, she has a realization, she's like, oh my god, who did I kill? You know, Jason Sudeikis is there to comfort her, she's like, hey, it's, it's, it's fine, it's almost very nonchalantly, too, about his, uh, about how many people she killed, and that's, as she's freaking out and like, I gotta tell somebody, and he's just like, well, no, hold on, just hold on a second. Reveals to her that there's a little, there's a little twist to this story. Mark, what is that twist? Which twist? So, th this is the point when, um, Jesus Sudeikis shows her the paper and points out. It is the one where you find out that there's a giant robot as well. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, who is that giant robot? That one's Jason Sudeikis, yes. you actually find out. And he finds out that, much like her, he's got he had he's got a he's got a, 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 a you know a, a piece in this game. So uh, the news is all about now. There's two of them, and the world is pretty much it, the, and they talk about this. They they go on. It's like the world kind of comes to a standstill over. Hey, there's a giant. There are two giant monsters appearing nightly in Seoul, and they even show that the monsters appear in a cloud of like energy kind of do their thing, and then they disappear. They're, like, on the ground for, like, maybe, like, 20 minutes or so. The, yeah. The movie never really gives a definitive timeline, but we do know they explain that it shows up, it has to be a, for a certain frame of, of, of time, they show up, and then after a while, they disappear. So, um, so anytime Jason Sudeikis and Anne Hathaway are in that sandbox at 8.05 in the morning, both of these, both of these creatures appear on the other side of the world in Seoul. So yes, yes, we also see it happen, which is important later, twenty-five years ago. Thank you very much. In Seoul, yeah, in Seoul, you suddenly you see Anne Hathaway's monster, and then you don't see it again till twenty-five years later, mm -hmm. when the film had opened and she's a hot mess from losing her job. Yes, and uh, we find out, you know, that leads to a reason. There's there's a good reason why too, which uh, we start getting in flashbacks. Because uh, after this, and she decides, okay, now I know what's going on. I will make an apology to all the people that I accidentally murdered. I'm not going to drink anymore. It it was she she had a wake up call. She had an epiphany of like, holy crap, I just murdered a bunch of people inadvertently. I need to get my life together. So yeah, she decides to stop drinking. Uh, Jason Sudeikis goes to a. Uh, and an old friend who runs a Korean mart has him write out a bunch of stuff in Korean, including a phrase that she is going to use when she when she revert when she summons her monster, and has uh, has the monster write in Korean in the ground an apology to the people of uh, Seoul, Korea, and that it'll never happen again, which stuns the world to no end. Like each time this thing appears. And mind you, nobody else and nobody else has any idea what's going on other than our small group of, uh, of heroes here. And so the people are like, well, "What? What the hell? Like this thing's got intelligence. What's with the robot?" Like, so there's ironically world peace for once. Uh, and Anne Hathaway even brings this up. He's like, oh, "It's going to be a shame if you know we don't do this anymore because now, or if the monsters never attack anywhere else because after a while people are going to kind of." wise up to it and realize, oh, they're fine from it and things will go back to normal. Like, she's, you know, having these little little moments. So, 
after a night working at the bar, everyone's kind of, you know, showing up to watch because, hey, history's being made. Uh, she, uh, she goes with the, with her friend, with, back to the friends at the bar closes, they have a good time, and, uh, she, you know, makes, as I put in quotations, special friends with, uh, one of Jason Sudeikis' buddies. Um, and, uh, this is where the film starts taking a turn. Yeah, it goes, it goes down horror oh, street. Oh, this is where, really where it goes <laughs> down. So, everything's going great. She has a, you know, an adult rendezvous with this man, and the next morning when she wakes up, looks on the TV, and lo and behold, the robot is in Seoul, acting like a jackass. So, uh, she and her, her new friend rush down to the sandbox where Tim Blake Nelson is watching on screen, and Jason Sudeikis, with a beer in his hand, is kind of marching around the sandbox, but tiptoeing around. And, uh, and Hathaway gives him a huge amount of crap for it, and, you know, he's drunk off his ass, and he's just like, what, we're having some fun, we're making, we're, we're fine, like, he's, you know, he points to Tim Blake Nelson, he's like, he's making sure I'm not stepping on anybody, and she loses it, I'm just like, this is, how, wait, like, it, she has a moment that her boyfriend has been, like, that her boyfriend has been telling her, like, how can you be so irresponsible, and on script, like, what we don't, what, they don't realize what's going on is that now Anne Hathaway's monster has appeared as well, and when you see it from this perspective, it looks like two giant creatures having a domestic squabble. And there's a point when she actually slaps him, and Jason's he's like, "Fine, all right, I, the, you win. Yeah, that's fine. I'm going home." Yes, he also does realize that Anne Hathaway and his friend had slept together. Yes, and uh, he his mood goes very foul at this point. Like, it's almost... Yeah. Like, he ain't... He it's like ain't, a 180 turn. Yes. And he's not the, the happy old friend anymore who's... Uh, now you see his dark side emerging. Yes. And that's when his friends start telling him, it's like, he's he's had some problems in the last few years. And he alludes to some things like, you know, why he never got married and, you know, a couple of things that, you know, he's had some... He's had some problems of his own. You know, and he's kind of like put Anne Hathaway's character up on a pedestal because she's, she's that person that got out of this small podunk town. She made something of herself, of which she doesn't really see it that way. She sees herself as a failure in many ways, too, because well, she's not writing anymore, and when she did write, it was for you know, puff pieces for some salon magazines and stuff. Like, she was never she never really saw herself going to her where she wanted to go, which kind of led to her kind of spiral downwards into into drinking. So, <laughs> this turns into an internet sensation, because the video, the, the video of her monster slapping the robot garners all kinds of attention. Now, it's become a joke, and it's running across the internet. There's even one of those Thug Life mo uh, videos that are created, where when the monster slaps the robot, and it's just the little glasses in the joint come down... <laughs> And yeah, Jason's yeah. they're watching at the bar, everyone's having a good time, and Jason Day is laughing as he's just chugging back, you know, a Pabst Blue Ribbon. And, uh, you know, she's even on, it's like, hey, you, you want to cool it a little bit? He's like, nah, nah, it's good, I'm, I'm fine. And we start seeing the darker side of it come out, where, oh, like, the next morning when they're hanging out in the bar, and she's not drinking, and Tim Blake Nelson is trying to you know, tell a little fun story and show a trick with a uh, with, with a uh, paper towel, 
Uh, Jason Diggins kind of goes off the deep end and uh, gets really, really pissed drunk, kind of alienates his friends, and uh, blows up that Anne Hathaway, and then pretty much, you know, kind of tells her to shove off. So, she starts uh, kind of, like, questioning everything. And we start seeing a little bit of a pattern, because at this point, her old boyfriend, as much as you can kind of see where he was coming from, at the same time, really, even then, wasn't kind of treating her well either. It was almost a little quid pro quo, if you will. And yeah. he comes back into the picture. And, uh, yeah, Jason Sudeikis does not take kindly to this. So where, the f- where we get going down this road is that uh, we find out that uh, there's... He's had... He, he ha- as we said, he has his own problems, and apparently they're starting to come out with, uh, with almost a controlling need to keep her around. We kind of think it's like, okay, well, he's madly in love with her. It's not quite that. And we find out it's a little more of a self-loathing thing than anything else. Yes, and one of the big things is that he's a bully, and he's always going to be a bully. Very much so. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And he threatens threatens Anne Hathaway because her boyfriend comes, like, her ex comes, is like, let's go home. And she's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, go home and uh, see what happens. Knowing full well that he can go to the sandbox at any point, turn into the robot, and just wreak all kinds of bedlam in, in soul. Kind of makes it to where it's like, if she stays, he won't do that. So now she's putting a rock in a hard place. And it's almost an abusive, non-abusive kind of relationship at this point. And then at one point when she calls his bluff, he actually does go down there, and they get into a, an actual fight. Um, she put, like, she's he, he goads her into, into hitting him. And uh, <coughs> she does a few times, and then he... You can hear people who are watching on TV kind of, like, cheering. Because they're watching the monster. We never see the monster's perspective. We just see theirs. But we we hear the monster's perspectives, though. It's a nice juxtaposition that, they, that, uh, that the director puts together with it. And then, at one point, after she wails on him for a few times, he just clocks her cold and just lays in here. He's like, all right, let's do this again tomorrow kind of thing. So that leaves her in a rock and a hard place where it comes down to he's now kind of stalking her, showing up at his at her house, and it's getting like, like, it's like she doesn't know what to do anymore. So after a huge chase, a huge, uh, a huge tussle between the two, she tells her ex she's coming home, Plans diverge because uh, as she's getting ready to go home, she kind of comes up with a plan. And that plan, we find out in our third act of the film, she actually goes to Seoul and is trying. She, we see that she has an idea. So Jason Sudeikis realizes she takes off, decides, all right, let's go, let's, let's go break something. So he shows up at the sandbox at 8:05. Unbeknownst to him, she is in the spot in Seoul where the monsters appear. <coughs> and her theory holds true and that her monster appears in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania while his robot is in uh, Seoul. Yeah. And that was a great that was a really great scene when the, the monsters are walking toward him. Yes. And pretty much shows up, proxy lays down, grabs him, picks him up, and you see this moment where it's like he, he, he almost has an epiphany where he's like, okay, I was wrong. I'm sorry. 
I'll never do it again. And you kind of, they kind of cut between the two where she's like, kind of, kind of thinking for a second. Now, mind you, she doesn't really know what's going on. She's just kind of imagining this in her mind's eye a little bit. And, uh, as Jason Stiggs is being held like 60 feet up in the air in this monster's hand, and she's like glaring down at him, he pretty much lays into her one more time, and that's when she's had enough. It just tosses his ass. Like it, like, much like when Team Rocket goes blasting off into the sky, just goes into a little <laughs> speck into the end of the Exactly, distance. Team Rocket. <laughs> yeah, and the robot itself is being held, like, the same thing, the, the, the physics of it, the robot, the robot itself in Soul is being held up in the air, and it too goes flying off into the distance. So, we wrap up with Anne Hathaway, realizing she just killed her childhood friend, but it was almost necessary for the greater good of things. Yeah. Goes well, what he, he, was, he was ready to stomp the entire city exactly. and kill thousands. So, she goes, sits down. She's kind of having a little bit of a, of a breakdown, and she sits at a bar, tells this bartender, she's like, you want to hear this incredible story? And just like that, she's like, sure, but can I get you a drink? And she just, the movie ends with this little cockeyed, she's like, ah, like... And, you know, almost the cycle starting all over again. Yeah. Very dark movie. Very fantastic, though. Oh, it's a great... It's a wonderful character piece. As we said, it's a wonderful <laughs> character piece about... Uh, about, like, many, a lot of it's mental health, too. Especially on Jason yeah, Biggs' character's part. It, it, it's a fantastic character study, which, which is why you know, I... I walked out thinking well, that was a really good movie, mm-hmm. you know. No, no. Granted, though, it did take a very dark turn, which you know gave a lot of people pause. But you know, I, you know, my profession, I've dealt with a lot of people like that, mm-hmm. and and it was interesting to see the portrayal. But but you know, it also gives a human face because you know, Jason Sudeikis's character, you know, he really was very disturbed. You know, he was controlling. Bit of a sociopath, yes. right? Sociopath. He was obsessive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was quick to, to lash out in anger at others. You know, he has two friends who he always hung out with. Mm-hmm. You know, once uh, the one that he knew that he slept on Halfway's character. Yeah. You know, became very cold toward him, and he even took it out on on um, Tim Blake Nelson's character. Mm-hmm. You know, calling him out for his, you know for his uh, you know his own vices, mm-hmm. and you know and humiliating him in front of everyone else. You know, because he was angry. Mm-hmm. Now, that's when you really start to see you know, how, how how dark and, and, and disturbed this character is. In many ways, much like Stephen King's The Mist, while there are monsters on the outside, the real monster is in the inside. Yeah. So, that being said, just, uh, so Mark, you obviously love the film. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was really good. Um, you, know, I, I, it, you know, like I said... The trailers made it seem like it was going to be a comedy, mm-hmm. and it, it really wasn't. I mean, there were funny moments, but then as you know, as the film progressed, it became more and more serious. And uh, I, I just thought it was—I thought they really fleshed out the characters pretty well. I mean, there, there, were, there were some some issues. I mean, uh, they never really got into why uh, uh, Sudeikis' character had he had an issue with, with his younger friend before. He ended up with Anne Hathaway. Yeah. No, and uh, but they never really got into that. You know, kind of wish they would have uh, fleshed that out a little bit more. But 
no, for the most part, I, I really enjoyed it, and I wouldn't mind seeing it again. And uh, Jessica, as uh, you said, you 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 took pause in <coughs> the turn, but overall, what did you think of the film? Um, I really, really, really liked it. Um, I think my review for it would be. Uh, one of my big things was I needed to know the explanations of the monsters. Mm-hmm. And, well, the monster and the robot. So the kaiju and the robot or, you know, and it had to be really good. It had to make sense. And so one of the things that I really enjoyed, one of two things is, one, Anne Hathaway is a hot mess, but she's not dumb. Mm-hmm. She's not stupid. So when she starts to put pieces together and she looks at the map and she draws the line between where she is currently on the East Coast and it's a straight line across to Seoul, Korea, uh, she realizes that if her monster appears, if their, if their monsters and their robot appears in Seoul, meaning if she's there, that means the opposite happens. Mm-hmm. And that, therefore, her kaiju will appear where where they are on the East Coast, like Pennsylvania or wherever they are, the small sleepy town. So she goes and she takes off and she goes there. She's also the one who draws the map of the playground and draws the the map of what Saul would look like because like, she looks at the map of where the destruction is and then she looks at the map of what the playground looks like. Mm. She puts that together so she knows exactly where the river is, exactly where everything is. And kind of where she steps, she'll know where she won't squish people mm-hmm. and where she won't destroy buildings. Uh, she is actually, I mean, I think she's a great flawed character. They didn't really mention your, they didn't really mention why Dan Stevens' character really liked her. Uh, but, no, you know, I'm, but, but, uh, you know, you guess that she must have been a decent person, I guess, before mm-hmm. things went bad. With, with the drinking. Mm-hmm. And I do like the fact that she does stand up for herself. She's a little bit much more, hesi- more hesitant than I would like. Mm-hmm. But she definitely stands up for herself. And which is something that I did really like. It did, as you can say, went straight up horror. Like, like not fatal attraction, but it was like scary when he was like barricading. He's already in the, her house and that he's really scary and all these things happen. I know that we already talked about spoilers, so I guess this one would be a large one. Throughout the film, she scratches the top of her head mm-hmm. because it is a nervous tick that she has. But you actually find out the reason why the monsters and the monster, the kaiju and the robot appears is because throughout the film, there's flashbacks to her and Jason when they were children. Mm-hmm. And their world project and world dioramas get kind of flown over a fence, which used to... Which used to be like a weird forest thing, but is now the playground because I guess it's been demolished and built over over the years. Mm. And you see Jason as a little boy like climb over the the fence and then she climbs over it. And it's kind of like a rainy slash windy day, whatever it is. So throughout the thing, you're led to believe that Jason is a good man and that he is a good friend and that they have been childhood friends and that he didn't see her for a long time. And then you actually, by the time you see that, you see that he's stepping on her project when he finds it, um, leading you to believe that he was going to give her the project. Mm -hmm. And then instead steps on it, she sees it, and I feel for her, if I saw that my hard-earned little project get stepped on by some kid, I would lose my crap Mm -hmm. 
uh, she kneels down and she starts screaming. And then, but because it was already kind of bad weather, and it does happen in real life, lightning happens to hit her on the top of her head. And it also hits Jason Sudeikis on the back of his head as a little boy. So they both fall over and it pans out and you see that her world project is Korea. And she makes a little like kaiju model that looks exactly like her monster. And then he is, I believe, Germany or maybe another country. And his is a little robot. Yes. Which looks exactly like the robot we see in Korea. And that's when it appears when they were struck as little kids. That's when... When she's upset, that's when you see the kaiju appear in Seoul 25 years ago, mm -hmm. which is in the beginning of the film. And I really like that because when you see them materialize from the sky, it makes no sense. <laughs> you just know they come from the sky. And my only, my only thing for the film was as long as they explain where they come from and how they're controlling it and it makes sense that I'm fine with it. Everything else could be humor, adventure, romantic comedy. I don't, I don't care. Although I did not see that horror twist coming, but I was like, it's fine. You know, it's cool. And when they explained it, it made sense because sometimes scars probably itch, and she probably that's probably why she scratches her head whenever she starts to get irritated, mm -hmm. like it flares up. But also, it kind of also explains why she forgets certain parts of her childhood or. Why you know it's like it's like an old folder you didn't know you had on your laptop, and yeah. then when you see it, double click it, and all these memories come back. Yeah, um, it's probably how she realizes it realizes it as Jason is literally host holding her hostage in her own home and starts mocking her about you don't remember, do you? And all this other stuff, or like you never think about it, or the mind is a crazy place. And when she starts thinking about it, she was like, "Oh crap!" Both of us were actually struck by lightning when we were little kids. And uh, you squished my project. Yeah, that's what and it was one of, the, yeah, and that's one of those moments. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I thought was. that was well written. Yeah. I'm glad it wasn't like this weird voodoo puppet thing, or like this whole thing was just a dream, or wh whatever the heck it was. I that actually kind of made sense because they were personified into the little characters that they built as children, and I really liked that. And I like the fact that she, it was very smart. And I did like the fact, I believe the writers said that originally they were going to make it where she wrestled about killing him. Mm -hmm. But the fact is she does give him a chance. But when he shows that he cannot be, he cannot be changed mm -hmm. and that he has no remorse and he calls her the B word in case there's children listening to this podcast. She, she knows that he's not a soul that really can be saved. You don't, you don't see her kill him. But when you throw somebody that far as a human, I'm pre pretty sure when you hit something, you're going to die. So it does it does show that this is not a person with remorse. And some yeah. people just cannot change. And, you know, some people, they start out very good. But you turned out and you realize that the more you know them, they're bullies. And that, like Chris, you were saying, I thought it was like this weird obsession thing. Like he really liked her. Mm -hmm. But it turned out to be it was a bullying thing that she he doesn't want her to get out and make something like it's a jealousy bullying control issue that she was the only one who got out of the town and made something of herself and that there's a jealousy factor for him there you even see in his own life his house is a hoarding mess mm -hmm. and she's such a forgiving person and uh, she forgives him after he says that he was sorry when he loses his crap but basically it shows that he is a little bit unhinged 
and that basically he is just um, there's great there's great uh, articles written about the psychoanalysis of Jason Sudeikis's character, and that he starts off really nice and he does really seem like a friend, but over time you realize that he's manipulating you into being his friend again, so he can control you and bully you yeah. and everything. I honestly didn't see it as he hates himself. I think he actually more just he hates her and enjoys bullying, but I guess. Uh, it is true. If I if I were to think about it deeper, it does seem that bullies are also people who don't like themselves. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, but I think yeah. Mark Mark can probably speak more on that part. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot of um, his, and his methodology of of uh, lulling her into a sense of security by being nice to her, bringing her things when she's in need. You know, it, it's it's a way a lot of uh, sociopaths, um, uh, it, it's their method of, of, of you know, gaining trust and ultimately controlling people. They 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 need to feel in control. The fact that you know his his um, his his actions didn't go according to plan. What what he would what he was looking for was for. You know, he'd provide for her, and she would lean on him for emotional support, and, and I guess, you no, know, he would get what he needed or wanted out of her, which, uh, you know, it could it could have been sex, it could, but, uh, but ultimately it was devotion. He wanted her devotion to him. When he saw that wasn't going to happen, he felt betrayed when she ended up with his friend on a one-night stand. Oh, okay. That, yeah, okay. that's when things really got bad, and um, yeah, yeah. And th there was also another another great de detail that I noticed uh, when uh, she went to his house and saw, you know, his hoarding. But another fantastic detail that I saw was all the photographs of him and his former fiance. Oh, he had scratched out her face in every single photograph. Right, right. Showing how obsessive he can become, and ultimately how dangerous he can become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when he's telling Anna Hathaway about how, you know, they were supposed to get married and then it kind of fell through, he alludes it was a little more on her end. But when, yes. When when we start getting to know him more, we find out. Oh no no no! You, she bolted when he re when she realized what kind of uh, kind of what, what kind of a monster he really was. Yeah, but of course, yeah, but of course, he he takes no responsibility or accountability for that. Instead, he demon he demonizes her, mm -hmm. you know, and you know he's he's scratching her face out basically, like, you know, they, they don't really go into detail about, you know, where she is now or anything. But this is his way of like, damn her, yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna mark her forever as, you know, it it, it was it was really I thought it was it was a great detail. It is. It, it's. A it's a nice, um, because if you really think, if we really break it down, like her character, I mean, well, going to her relationship with men, especially, that, that, they, that is one of the focuses of the film. Like, as we brought up earlier, her, her, her former boyfriend, who was trying to kind of, you know, give, trying to kind of fix her a bit, he does come across with the best intentions. But, but he's also controlling. He is also yes. He's also a, he's also. It's not in the same sociopathic way. He's more of a of a. He's more of a jackass than anything else, like a pompous jackass. 
It's yes, a little more narcissistic yes. on his end than the sociopath end of Jason Sudeikis's part. Like, yeah, like he, he he's it, looking at her more as like an extension of himself, and that if she's failing, that kind of looks badly upon him. So yeah, and as much as he as as he and he's the one that cut the cord originally, but he's also the one that comes crawling back too. Because he shows yeah. up, she he shows up in her in, in the little town and. He gives some bullshit reason why he's there, and it turns out it's like that's not really. I'm here to bring you back home. Like, what, what yeah. are you doing? You're working in a bar. Why? This is this is beneath you. And even she's like, wait, wait how is this beneath me? Like, maybe I like doing this. Maybe this is my thing. And he's like, no, no, you're better than this. You're better. You're better than all these people here. Like, you're you're you know you made something of yourself in New York, and you know she kind of that she kind of realizes that you know it, it's part of her her kind of fixing herself at that point where one of the part one was realizing she had a drinking problem after she inadvertently kills all those people in Seoul when she tumbles over drunk in the sandbox and then it goes to okay who are these people in my life that I'm attracted to like and it's a thing with I mean, there are people who are perfectly good people but they just happen to be they they attracted they either attract or attract themselves to really damage the broken people Sometimes yeah. it's like I want to fix these people, and sometimes it's just like it's a low self-esteem issue, and that they yeah. this is the, what they think that they deserve. Exactly, and a lot of times, you know, it, it's it's subconscious; they don't even realize they're doing it. Mm-hmm. But you know, but you notice a, a, an archetype of person that they tend to gravitate towards, and in in this in this case, both men were controlling. Like you said, in different fashions, but you know, ultimately, it's you know, they they wanted to mold her to what they desired. Yes, I mean, they, you know, the, her, 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 yeah, her wishes were not their concern. No, no, it, it, I mean, it, it's something that I mean, I, I used to listen to Love Line when I was you know my my nascent days, my teenagers, when uh, Adam Drew were on it, and uh, at, you know, Adam would be the guy that kind of you know, plain speak what Drew would be trying to tell. And uh, in yeah. many fashions, when you, if you listen to it long enough, you start hearing patterns in most of the callers. A lot of times there's a lot of girls to call, and they talk, they talk like, hey, uh, like, all the men in my life have kind of been garbage, blah, blah, and Drew would have to explain, it's like, well, why are you, you know, like, I'd say, well, I don't know why. It's like, well, this, that's your inner, your whatever's in your brain, that you're attracted to these people off the bat, that should be your alarm clock. That, that, I mean, that should be the alarm going off in your head. So, you know, he would explain, it's like, if you've seen, a, if this has been a pattern, the next time you find yourself attracted to someone like this, that should be the alarm. Go the opposite direction. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, he, both of them would explain to these people over and over again. It's like, you have to go through your head. It's like, it's not, it's not quite them. And a lot of it's you, because these are the decisions you're making. You're not realizing the errors you're making. It's, you know, yeah. it, I mean, the, the old the old saying, I mean, the definition of insanity is doing what? It's, uh, the same thing over and over again. Expecting, expecting a different result. Exactly. And that's, that's yeah. kind of what this is here. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to put, you know, to, you know, in hindsight, to mm-hmm. point out other people's mistakes, you know, it, it's it's difficult you know, for them to realize they're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. That's always the hardest part, too. I mean, a lot of people, yeah. people never realize, you know, that because you, there are a lot of times you can't 
take yourself out of your body and just remote view and see what you're doing. You know? Yeah, and it, it's it's easier to see, and it's easier to see it in others mm. than recognize it in yourself. Yes. So, and that that it's a great it's it's a great thing that we see because she does Anne Hathaway does have a full art. She does, for the most part, fix herself. And it's it, yes. the ending that with that little kind of like squint and sigh. We're kind of when the bartender asks her if she wants a drink or not, and she's just like, ah, yes. like it's she's not perfect. She's not completely fixed. She's still very yes. she's still very fallible, if you will. So. You know, we looked at the decision. Does she go back to drinking? I mean, can she handle herself? Did, you know, part of it was, does she actually have a problem, or was she masking another problem with it? So, and, and those, those are things that the movie never really, and I think masterly doesn't give you a direct answer for. It's something that yeah. you, know, you kind of have to kind of, you know, much like we were doing, I mean, discuss it. Think about it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are no easy answers. Mm-hmm. Things are not black and white, and things don't wrap up in a nice little package at the end. No. It's you know she, she still has these issues. You know she's learned a lot. She's been through this amazingly traumatic experience and learned valuable lessons from it. But you know, uh, but she's she's uh, trudging on. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's talk about the actual effects and kaiju aspects of the film. Uh, mm-hmm. As we are a, a, a kaiju-based podcast, but this is a very unique film. So, uh, as for the mon- and, and I think it was like, well, how are the monster effects? First off, the monster design. Uh, I think somebody uh, there, it, there was uh, someone who compared it like a frog with a certain Ultraman monster. Gomorra. Gomorra, thank it, you. Yeah, yeah. The initial when I saw the initial uh, trailers for it. No, you see it because it, it appears at night. The monster only appears at night yes. in Korea. So, you know, and you see the, the like the uh, the uh, the crescent shaped, um, I guess, crest on the head. Mm-hmm. And at first, it looked like Gomorrah from, uh, you know, I, I didn't didn't get to see the face in, in too much detail in the beginning, but you know, it lo- looks like a thin Gomorrah. And uh, I think a cross between a Gomorrah and I thought it looked like Pogasari. Pogasari, yeah. Pogasari, Jesus, wow! I yeah. cannot pronounce that. I'm so sorry. That's fine. No, which is interesting because the film does take place in Korea. It does. It does. Which is where I got that thing. I will say though, I'm glad they didn't make like give it like a feminine chest area. Like they didn't try to give it boobs. It yeah, yeah. Like, like it's skinny very obvious. Like, oh, it, this is her. You know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what? Before I forget, you were, you were talking earlier about you know the the flashback to them as children, and it revealed that uh, where the design of these monsters came from, there were toys, mm. and and Jessica mentioned it, and it got me thinking. When I saw the film, they appeared to be like vinyl figures, like manufactured vinyl figures. They didn't look like something that was, you know, some custom thing that was created by two kids. Yes. They look like they look like, like manufactured toys. Mm-hmm. And, and, and therein is a plot hole there. Yeah, why this didn't anybody a, recognize the designs? Yeah. Yes. This is a worldwide event. Mm-hmm. You know, and with geek culture and toy collecting, not one person recognized, hey, these are these are toys that came out back in the 90s or the 80s. Yes. You know? 
Yeah, that, 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 that did cross my mind on the second viewing when I walked up my buddy, and he, he did bring up this very point. He's like, wouldn't it, someone have pointed out, it's like, those were action figures at one point, you know. Yeah. Both the robot and the monster. Like, they might not have been the same, but it, somewhere out there, someone would be like, that looks awfully familiar. So, yeah. But, hey, 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 isn't that isn't that one of the the uh, inhumanoids? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you know, if 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 uh, if decompose and leisure uh, or Trindle walk down the street, one they'd be like, ah, I recognize that. What's going exactly. on? Exactly. Yeah. Did, did they look man? You to me, they look like the little kids made them. No, no. At no, least, they, at least the kaiju one. They were very plastic. I mean, the robot falls. Were out, they? Yeah, the robot falls out of his backpack. When, uh, yeah, so to me they looked like vinyl figures, but yeah, the robot was more of like an actual like it looked like the, one of the cheap knockoff robots you would get at big lots or like at a swap meet. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, but the vinyl figure did look a little more detailed. Like the, it had articulation, which no kid, unless you're a genius or you have your dad's a molder of some sort, is going to figure out how to put art, proper articulation into a figure like that. So. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, they were very violently. But, that being said, you know, I, I can ignore that one little plot hole that's, you know, it, it was enough to where, you know, everyone, I think, you know, we, we can move past that. But, as for the monster yeah. itself, uh, very it, nice and unique, uh, thin, which is not a thing we see a lot with a, with a lot of, you know, kaiju in general. Yeah. The last time we did was the Cloverfield monster, which less said... No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it was it was sort of reptilian, but but the shape and movement, and especially uh, the, the long legs and and the and the trunk like feet, reminded me of an ant from Lord of the Rings. Yes, yes, it did. <clears throat> an ant or a Groot, adult Groot, the way it swung and walked. That's true too. Yeah, <laughs> any of the assorted uh, CGI tree monsters. <laughs> yeah. And it did, you know, I'll, I'll say this too, it had a little bit of a pigman face too, if you noticed that as well. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the, the face is very pigmanish. yeah. Like, and, it, and the thing is too, for the most part, I think it was all CG. I believe he said it was mostly, if not all CG. I don't think they actually really did many models, if any at all. I think maybe the, um, the scene when the foot uh, comes through the building... And uh, that yeah. first, the sequence that might have been a model, but I think for the most part it was all CG. And phenomenal work, though. Like, it, oh yeah, it's there's never a point where it's like, ah, that looks a little fake. It's like, no, no, that, that looks damn good. It looks really damn good. And it, it's a, it's a, it's again a, a, a delightfully unique design that uh, I think will hold the test of time. Uh, and the robot itself, I mean. I'll, I'll say this, it had a little bit of a Jaeger look to it. Uh, it had a little bit of a Crimson Typhoon, especially in the head portion, with a little bit of, like, Voltron and Gundam thrown in there. Like, it looked like someone took a hodgepodge of, here are all our famous robots, let's kind of mold them into one thing. Um, but yeah. I'll say this, a better design than any of the Michael Bay Transformers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's busy, but it's not too busy. Yeah, there's actually some some uh, nice aesthetic design to it. Yeah, especially the part when like Jason Stegan's cracking his knuckles, and you can see yeah. like it cracking his knuckles, but you get to see like all the tread in between the joints of the fingers. 
Uh, there's practical plating on it. It's it, it works. It works very well. It, you know, it's it's nice to see you know someone get a proper robot robot aesthetic. Uh, you know, yeah. there, there's a there's a happy medium between too busy and too too plain, and that fell right in there. You know, nice and soundly. Uh, I think I believe it had like a cycloptian eye too, didn't it? Yeah, it, it appeared to have that. Yeah. It did, yeah. Yeah, which uh, that's where it got, I got a little bit of the Crimson Typhoon look from. It was red too, so. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking more like like one of the Valkyries from Metcross. Yeah, you know? a little bit of that too. I, I, I'm pretty sure whoever sat down to design it obviously had a lot of uh, knowledge of Japanese uh, pop culture. Yeah. Yeah, because it, even with the monster, I mean, there was definite kaiju influence. Mm-hmm. This was not a this was not a Western type of monster. No, which uh, which I mean, you can argue like I will I will gladly as much as I love Pacific Rim, those are not Japanese aesthetic kaiju. No, those are very much Western like monsters. Given yeah, their which size. I I was a little bit disappointed in that respect, but yeah, you know, from otherwise you know enjoyable film. Yeah, this one but, does. Uh, this one does look like it could pop up on Ultraman at, at any point. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Maybe not. And, uh, Go ahead. And, and amazingly, uh, too, uh, usually with movies like this, an independent film, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is not being marketed at McDonald's or anything. No. But Mondo actually is actually releasing a, a, a figure, a statuette of the monster. It is. It is. It's kind of. It's it's over a hundred dollars. It's beautiful, though. Beautiful. Yeah, it is so beautiful. Um, I kind of want a robot counterpart, though. I'm pretty sure would do one. Yeah, I kind of want it because it kind of completes the set. And I was going to say his robot was like a messed up skinny Optimus Prime I never got. Mm-hmm. It's Because it's blockier, it's much more 80s simplistic yes. than it is the really uh, detailed intricacy of how we saw Bay's uh, Transformers are. Yeah, yeah, n- needlessly busy. <laughs> yeah. Needless, yeah, thank you. you. You said it right. Uh, yeah, actually, Mondo's putting out a few things for this. They have, and like, I, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Mondo fan in the world, mostly because yeah. a lot of their prints blow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very <laughs> blunt. Most of them blow yeah. because it's a lot of the artists are just photoshopping and recoloring crap. Uh, there yeah. are some, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give credit where credit's due. There's some really good ones out there, but look, I grew up, uh, I grew up around art. My dad was an artist. Sometimes simplicity, I, and I, I have, I have argued for simplicity, but sometimes there's just too simple where you're passing off like, hey, you did a great job. It's like, eh, no, nah, maybe put a little more effort into that, or hey, maybe not so much on the photoshopping, where that's what a lot of Mondo in the past was doing. It looks like they're branching out a little bit more because I think they're gra- gathering more artists into the rosters. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mixed on a lot of this stuff. They are, I mean, the two posters they got are sold out. There is one that's kind of cool. It's her standing uh, at the moonlight with the monster as her silhouette, like her shadow and the colossal spelled out. It's, what's supposed to look like Korean, but it's very yeah. Not. It's supposed to look like Hangul, but. I, 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 I didn't. I didn't really care for the only thing I, I liked. Was, uh, I really liked what was the figure. The Maquette. There's two versions of them too. It looks like they're, they're coming out. Yeah, there, there's a limited one with like different coloring or something. Yeah, and uh, they look like they got. Uh, they're doing a vinyl soundtrack. 
and uh, an enamel pin and a bottle opener of all things. So enamel pin, I didn't see that one. Yeah, it's a pre-order. Bottle so opener. Gonna, yeah, a bottle opener. It's in the shape of the monster's head. So it's only seven oh, bucks. Dude. I didn't see that one. I, I might have to pick that one up because I mean, you know, I I got rid of most of my collection, but I still love weird little items like that because you no, know, you're not going to see that ten years from now. No, no, you're not. And that that's that's the thing with especially with uh, with with Mondo, they're they're very limited. Yeah, they're very limited. They 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 take the cue out of the Beanie Baby book and like ah yeah, we'll we'll do like fifty of these and then they'll be on eBay for the next twenty five years. Uh, going for enormous amount of money like that, I, I go and buy crap from them at Comic Con because I know that I can turn around and sell it on eBay and pay for my trip. So yeah. that's uh, that's that. It, they're part of the Alamo Draft House. I love the Alamo Draft House. If you're anywhere near an area with an Alamo Draft House, do go check them out. I know that they actually had a particular, I believe they had a particular beer for the film when it was playing at the Draft House too. I've, a colossal beer? <laughs> yeah, I believe that they did. But uh, I'll say this, though. The bottle opener looks fun. It's the shape of the monster's head. Like, I might have to get one of these. So. Yeah, that is interesting. That would go along with my Mechagodzilla bottle opener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Godzilla pizza cutter. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Any, any, other, any other thoughts? Anybody? Uh, no, just uh, I, I highly recommend the movie. I, I thought, you know... I hear that I've already seen complaints from people online. Uh, oh, there wasn't enough monster action. I, I thought there was a great. De- I thought it was a great deal of monster action. Very much so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's not a kaiju film. No. But the kaiju aspect is prominently featured throughout the movie. I mean, one of the first things you see is the monster. Yes. And yeah, you know, so it, it's not like look where it's not like. Uh, the uh, legendary Godzilla, where it hardly appears, mm-hmm. monsters all over the place. So is the robot later on. Uh, but you know, but it's not a kaiju film. But it, it, it's it's a to me, it, it's a great mix of uh, different genres rolled, in my opinion, successfully into this movie. And you know, what? the kaiju aspects aren't played for laughs either. No, no, you know, they're not making fun of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people, pe- yeah, people see the dancing kaiju, but there's a reason for that. No, it, it, it's showing uh, it's showing her connection to it, and how ultimately, you know, how their actions uh, present a danger to the people, you know, over in Korea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I, I think it's a wonderful film. It is, and I, I, it's very unique. Oh, it's very unique in in this in this genre. Very much so. And I do love. We live in a day and age where this kind of film can be made. And is actually receiving, for the most part, a great acclaim, too. Yes. It's done very well for itself at the box office. I mean, it's in a limited limited release, you know. Um, but, you know, it's it's still rolling out. Um, didn't have a massive uh, ad campaign, but I know, I believe the first screen uh, on the... On theater-wise, for like a small film like that, did very well for itself. And I know... I'm more than certain they've already sold the, the you know, the home video rights, probably Netflix or somebody like that. They probably paid a good chunk. And i got a feeling this film will be very, very profitable by by the time it wraps up and it's all said and done. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, but definitely if you're, if, you know, if, 
you're just in it for the, the kaiju aspect, then you're not, you're probably not going to have a good time, but if you want, like, a nice, just kind of, like, unique piece of cinema, oh, this is definitely up there. This is something you definitely should check out. And, you know, while you're at it, I would highly recommend go and look up Nacho's other films. Um, I believe Time Crimes might still be on Netflix. I have to double-check. I, I own them all. I own it on DVD, so, you know, I, I don't worry about any of that stuff. You can find it, find all of his stuff on uh, Amazon for dirt cheap, anyway, so. But uh, he's definitely a, a, this is, he's definitely a guy that, to, to keep a, uh, to keep an eye out for. I mean, the fact that, um, Anne Hathaway herself was actually a big opponent for this film. Like, she was the first one to sign on. She helped get everybody else on board. Uh, you know, almost in, almost in a producer capacity herself. Like, she really believed in this project. So, and you know what? I, like, and I'll, I'll first admit, I'm not the biggest Anne Hathaway fan in the world. She's great in some things. And she's kind of phones it in the other things. But this, no. She was fantastic. Everybody, everybody brought their A-game. Especially Jason Sudeikis. I can't... Yeah, he went full creepy. He went from, like, the lovable Jason Sudeikis we know, yeah. married to the beautiful Olivia Wilde, to, like, the creepiest man in the world. Yeah. Where a part of me... You know it's good acting when I want to yell out, run, Olivia. Yeah. Divorce this man. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's just good, that's just good acting. Oh. Hey, you know what? Every time I bring that up, I, I remember... We were watching, I was watching, like, Tron was on at one point, and my friend was like, he's going on, but he's like, uh, he's like, I hate this film, but he's like, I love Olivia Wilde, and he's like, I turned around and I'm like, you know, you know who she's married to, right? He's like, who? It's like, and he's a huge SNL fan, he's like, your beloved Jason Sudeikis, and he, he just turned around, he's like, ah, oh, man, that's not fair. <laughs> it's, it's like hearing, uh, uh, what was her name, uh. Uh, the one from uh, that Married with Children ripoff show. Oh, Nikki Cox. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was like hearing uh, the, when uh, uh, she was married to Bobcat Goldthwait. Like, yes. What the fuck? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was just like that was like twenty-five-year-old Nikki Cox too. So, like in her prime, it's married to like forty-six-year-old uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Like, what is going on here? So. <laughs> Like, Everybody told her like, nah. Yeah, no, no. Dude, they were together for like six or seven years too, and then she hooked up with uh, with Jay Moore of all people. So, you know, getting, yeah, get a little gossipy here. Get a little gossipy, but yeah, but you know, we digress. So, uh, Jessica, any final thoughts? Um, no. I mean, other than I hope you guys see it, and I know that if it's not in. You know, if it's not near a theater near you anymore and everything, hopefully when the DVD comes out or where it goes on Netflix, hopefully you guys will be able to see it. Yes. yes. I, I highly recommend this film, just with the addendum that if you're going in expecting a, a proper kaiju film, this is not that no. film. No, no. Definitely not that. This is a little more, this is a little more unique uh, indie cinema. And yeah. have that frame of mind going in. Um, and you will have... You'll have a good time. For as weird and as dark as this movie gets, it's never boring, and it has your attention from beginning to end. So, it's a uh, it's it's a welcome addition into uh, into the kaiju genre, and uh, it will I I will gladly display this next to my copies of Destroy All Monsters in the Gamma Trilogy. So, 
This might yeah. go down as one of my favorite films of the year as well. Like, I've seen it twice now. I enjoyed it thoroughly both times. Like, if, if you can hold my attention the second time, like, just as much as you did the first time, like, that, that's that's the sign of a very good movie. So Yeah. It's a, a very wonder, it's a very well-written character piece, I think. It is. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, the, the performances are fantastic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping against hope that, you know, they push for, and this, uh, I would definitely say, um, supporting actor for Jason Sudeikis. Like, I would, I would love to see him get something out of this. And Hathaway's great, but, you know, I think Jason Sudeikis stole the show on it, especially because he plays very much against type. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and he plays both sides of the character very well. And that he does. All right, um,. That's going to wrap up our review of Colossal. We have a few bits of business to, to uh, conduct as you're hearing this. It'll be, be coming up to Memorial Day weekend. Mark, where are you going to be? I will be in Dallas, Texas at the famous Monsters Convention at the uh, Dallas Sheraton, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I will be there. Uh, I am giving a panel. Um, every year at G-Fest, I do one of my mini film festivals showcasing footage from a lot of the rare and weird films that I've been researching for you know, the past decade and a half. And um, so uh, people in Chicago are used to them, but uh, this will be my first time in Texas, in Dallas. So if uh, you're in Dallas and you've wanted to see footage from uh, Wolfman vs. Godzilla, Gamera 4, and uh, I'm going to be featuring uh, a lot of Atragon 2, because uh, I, I was invited by the kind folks at Monster Attack Team uh, to pen an article for the new issue that's coming out. And uh, from what I understand, it should be making its premiere at the famous Monsters Convention. So I'll have my article about Atragon 2, and you, I, you can actually see footage from the movie there, because this is not on YouTube. This is not anywhere online, this movie. Uh, you want to see some of it? Come to Famous Monsters Convention, and I'll show it to you. And uh, uh, also on that note, uh, I'll be over in Phoenix at the Phoenix Comic Con. I'm just hanging out selling uh, Hawk and Wares over there. So uh, I'll be at the CBC booth. The, uh, um, I forgot what number we are, but I'll put it up there. If you see me, just come say hi, shake your hand. I might have a little few things to give out, but other than that, we're just going to be hanging around. So Mark will be enjoying the great... The, the great city of Dallas. I'll be enjoying the hot, blistering wonderness that is Phoenix, Arizona. While Jessica will be hanging out here in L.A., kind of, uh, you know, in, in kind of the middle of it all. So, um, and then, yeah, I think that's it, isn't it, Jessica? We don't have anything else to announce right now, right? Not at the moment, no. Okay. No. So, uh, on that note, Jessica, where can the good people find more of our work? You can find us. We are on Facebook as the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. I think that would be probably our most active social media platform. Mm-hmm. We are also on Tumblr as the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast, but Twitter as the Kaiju Kingdom. If you ever feel like you want to email us, we are the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast at gmail.com. So Twitter is our only one where we were limited by our how many characters we can have in our username handle. And that's where uh, it would just say the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. Mm. Um, excuse me, the Kaiju Kingdom. There is no podcast at the very end. Yes. So, and then, uh, oh, real quick, Mark, is there anything, is it, it's G-Fest, where uh, something else will be, uh, um, 
another project you're working on that we'll be debuting, right? Uh, yeah, at G-Fest, I will be at G-Fest in mid-July in Chicago. And uh, once again, I'm doing another panel, uh, Kaiju Gaiden Strikes Back, mm-hmm. which is uh, it's become kind of a tradition for me to go there and do my little mini film festival. This year, uh, as part of it, uh, I'll have a couple of interesting things to show. One is a brand new uh, short film that will be premiering at G-Fest. Uh, the fine folks at Anime Jungle and Jungle Japan, they have an original hero called Zeros, uh, which is a, a human-sized, uh, you know, Japanese superhero. But for the first time in this new film, Zeros will be kaiju-sized, fighting kaiju in a cityscape. And this film I will be premiering at G-Fest as part of my presentation. In addition to that, uh, I, I'm going to have a tribute to Koichi Kawakita by showing some of his rarely seen last films that he made, two of them being Armored Giant Gunbot and the other one being Apollo Knight. Both were short films that were produced by his final students at the Osaka University of Arts Tokusatsu program. So I will be showing these as part of a uh, tribute to Kuchikawakita, and possibly one other film if I can get my hands on it. Uh, then suffice that to say, uh, the, the the namesake, <laughs> Kaiju Gaiden, uh, of course, that's a documentary project I've been working on for a while and was stalled for a bit due to the dishonesty of some people involved. Uh, but there is activity once again happening with that, which will be announced in a very visual style at G-Fest. Excellent. And uh, you, can, you will be... You also got a booth there, too, going on, right? Yeah, I am actually have, a for the first time at G-Fest, uh, a dealer's table. I will be there uh, under the, the bannership of Adrian's Attic, brand-new company, uh... Uh, for transparency's sake, headed by my lovely girlfriend, Adrienne Miller, <laughs> uh, we will have a, a lot of handcrafted boutique-type items. Uh, they are going to be f- uh, featured in the new issue of Monster Attack Team, and look for them soon. There will be an Adrienne's Attic webpage uh, uh, or an Adrienne's Attic site on Facebook, and uh, which will link you to the Etsy store. A few of the items uh, I may mention, and in fact, I'll give you pictures if you want to put them on in the show notes. All right. Uh, there's a, a plush Gabra, um, little figures, a plush Titanosaurus, a few a few others, and uh, I think uh, there might be a few other famous characters. But some of the other stuff are uh, items that are actually aimed at uh, female fans. Uh, jewelry and accessories uh, she's, she's going to have on sale. Uh, some brooches and uh, um, a biolante. <laughs> little ro- ro- it's pretty cool. I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, little roses with teeth, mm-hmm. the, the, like hairpins, brooches, corsages type of things. And... Uh, a couple of kaiju-themed lingerie. We will have 
we will have a female mannequin there with this stuff modeled. It's uh, you know, in I've been going to G Fest since it since uh, its inception back in 1995, and I've never seen <laughs> collectibles of this fashion. So it'll definitely be interesting. I think we'll definitely uh, garner some attention there. So do keep an eye out for that. So. Uh, as, uh, unfortunately, Jessica and I will not be at G-Fest this year. Uh, we have some prior commitments, and uh, on top of that, we kind of nearly murdered ourselves last year trying to squeeze in a whole bunch of things uh, within a, a week's period. So, uh, as we're in... yeah. That's because San Diego Comic-Con is immediately the weekend after. Uh, I wouldn't even say that. It's like three days after because it starts on, on Wednesday. On Wednesday, yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you, we, real quick, I flew back on Monday after quickly taking in Chicago, went to work, and then Wednesday was on a, was in my car speeding down uh, to San Diego for a five-day Odyssey at Comic-Con. Jessica did the same thing, and then... On top of that, hopped on a plane two days after Comic-Con ended and it was in Japan for, what, two weeks? Uh, yeah, like about two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, you... I, I don't think your head hit your own pillow for nearly a month. It did not. Also, my body was not used to that temperature change. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. And my... I mean, blessedly, I did not get sick, but my body was seriously like, what the hell, Jess? Um, so yeah, there was, there was that. So we, uh, hopefully we'll be there next year, uh, working on some things. Maybe we can come in uh, a little more of a, uh, a, a more showboaty fashion. Uh, so, but it, that's a year away. We'll, we'll talk about that later. So, uh, all right, well, it's getting late. Let's wrap this bad boy up on that note. That will do it for this edition of the Kaiju Kingdom podcast for myself and... Jessica! And And Mark. Thanks for listening, guys.